0: We'll be out here in a few moments it's the uh, foot washing bucket and so it'll be Paul will put it out here and at any moment this morning just feel free to come up and put your offering uh, in there also Jonathan and Claire Keener tomorrow night will be in the park at the pavilion is that right
1: Yep.
0: Uh, what time bar
1: uh, what time I think six it's six eight. six to
0: eight six and eight. there's information in the bulletin for you as well to uh, to look at that we encourage you to be there there's also worship in the in the park this evening as there has been on Sunday evenings, uh, Chief Cunningham will be there. I think Community Place Web Ministries there. So we encourage you to gather for community worship uh, in the park this evening. At the end of the service, Leah Zizek will be sharing with us. Leah just got back from Honduras, and so she'll be sharing and closing the service with Paul, praying for her. So um, welcome all of you, and uh, let's pray together as we begin. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are with us that you are the creator of heaven and earth, that you with the Father and spirit have been eternal and will be eternal for all time. Thank you that you hold us in your hands and you hold history in your hands. Thank you that you are the writer of history, the author and perfecter of our faith, that Jesus for the joy gone before you endured the cross. We thank you for your faithfulness and your love and we commit ourselves to you this morning and pray that your will would be done on earth as in heaven, in our lives, in our congregation, in our community, and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Uh, I was reading some of the psalms uh, this week, and they're so loaded with wonderful praise verses. So we're going to be reading a fair amount of them this morning. Um, It's just so good to focus on uh, the wonder of the Lord and how great he is. Shout to the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth.
3: His faithfulness continues through all generations.
1: Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever.
2: Let Israel say, His love endures forever.
1: Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever.
3: Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever.
1: Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter.
2: I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Give Give thanks thanks to the the Lord, for for he is good. His His love endures forever.
1: I thought, um, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. What is the gates of the righteous? And then it says, this is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. Uh, Thankfulness. So let's um, <clears throat> praise
4: the Lord this morning. Mm-hmm. I will enter I will escape.
2: to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp.
1: For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done.
3: How great are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts.
2: new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him.
1: The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered
3: his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God.
1: This is our great God whom we sing
4: to. your name See hey.
5: I recognize that we're on uh, pavement, but um, if you want to kneel um, or able to kneel with me for prayer, I'm going to do that anyway. (laughs) Dear Heavenly Father, we are bowed before you, whether we're actually on our knees or on our knees in our heart, Lord, we recognize that you are the King of Kings, you are the Lord of Lords. And we are your people and we just acknowledge Lord that you are that your presence is here with us that you are here that your Holy Spirit is hovering over us and we just thank you we thank you that your presence is here we thank you that no matter where we are worshiping you whether it's at home today uh, via the YouTube um, or here you are with us and um, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And as we hear your word spoken through Conrad this morning, Lord, may our hearts just be open, open and receptive. Um, May you find our hearts to be soft, fertile soil for you this morning, to plant your word as seeds deep within our being. So much so, Lord, that it transforms us, that it's not just words that bounce off, Lord, but words that sink deep within our hearts and transform who we are and how we live so we just thank you for conrad and thank you for the word that you have uh, been speaking to him this week and i just pray lord that as he um, allows himself to just be an open vessel before you lord that your word would flow through him with boldness and clarity in his voice that his eyes would be fixed and focused on you, Lord, the author and perfecter of his faith and the lover of his soul and the one who has a word for us this morning. So we just thank you again, Lord, for your, um, just for your precious love for us and your, and your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight always, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Heidi, for that prayer for me this morning. This morning's is the first in three messages over the next three weeks before we turn to a series that Kate and Josh and Janelle, Heidi and I are working on related to the names of Jesus. Some of it will come from the book of Revelation, uh, others of it from other parts of the scripture, but we're going to look in October, November at the names of our risen Lord. But in the meantime, we're going to have, there will be three messages related to issues, questions, concerns about justice. And so this morning's message is is related to Micah 6.8 and actually all three messages will be. Am I coming through all right? Okay. Micah 6.8, if you're familiar with it and remember it, Micah says, What does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? This morning's message will have to do with concerns about race next week with criminal justice and the third week David Garlock will be here to preach and give us a word about his life David is a convicted felon convicted for homicide now uh, lives in Lancaster and uh, shares with shares periodically with my students has a powerful testimony of God's faithfulness one of my podcasts this week was an interview with David I also interviewed uh, Chief Ed Cunningham this week. If you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to do that because Ed is working closely at issues of justice in the criminal justice system and being really led by kingdom values. Questions and concerns about justice are not new for me. Probably in my preaching, they're emerging more fully, more clearly. I feel like I'm at a point in my life where for some reason there's a greater integration of the different parts of me. I'm more clear about my Christian testimony with my students and campus than I ever have been. And I'm also more clear, I think, about my concerns about how we, are, how we look at issues of justice as a church and as followers of Jesus. When I was a student at Wheaton College, I participated in what was called the Human Needs and Global Resources Program. It was called the Hunger Program. It took me to Ecuador for six months, but it also was a series of courses related to justice. I tutored little children, uh, African-American children, and Cabrini Green in Chicago as a Wheaton student for a long time. These have been deep concerns of mine. I think it's risky to do this. I think it's risky to do this in the American church, where we have politicized what are really biblical concerns. And so I want to encourage you, and my prayer has been that you hear me, that we lay aside whatever political leanings we have right or left and hear what the scripture says because this has been, this was really Paul's mission we're going to look at Ephesians 2 and 3 and we could look at other places in the New Testament we could look at the story of Peter and Cornelius and the way that Peter had to come to understand that there was no difference between Gentile and Jew we could look at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and how the church had to come to understand that the Gentiles also had received the Holy Spirit and so I really want to encourage you to hear this through this scripture um, and not through some other lenses that are so easy for us to become attached to. I think part of why I have also not spoken so much about these issues is because I have spoken preached a lot about our life with God. Because fundamentally I'm convinced that if our concern about justice doesn't emerge from a life with God, it will eventually die out, we will get burned out. We can only be concerned about these issues for so long unless they're deeply grounded in a life with God, in a theology that understands that God cares about the marginalized. It was really interesting to me this week in reading the story of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius was not a Jew. He was a Gentile, but he was a God-fearing man, but he didn't know Jesus. But, but But an angel comes to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, I'm coming to you because you fear God and you care for the poor. I had never seen that before I'm coming to you Cornelius I'm revealing Jesus to you through Peter because you fear God and you care for the poor and it gets repeated again in that scripture because we have a God in both old and New Testament who has been always concerned for the oppressed the downtrodden the poor the marginalized because as I have said before the degree to which we care about those is a test of our own walk with God our own love for God and so I've been I I think I've been hoping as a pastor that in preaching a life with God and intimacy with God out of that would flow concerns for justice and I'm not making any statement one way or another about our congregation but I would just say for the American church as a whole in these days it is so clear that either we don't have a life with God or the life with God we've developed is irrelevant to our ethic and how we live across the country we are failing to witness and to give witness to a God who loves all people, who loves all people equally. The point of this passage is that there is no difference between Jew or Gentile or white or black or brown, any socially constructed barriers that we've created that keep people from God and us from one another. Lancaster Mennonite Conference is now one-half of its congregations are are. our our congregations of color, our congregations that are African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-Latino. Half of our brothers and sisters in the conference we are part of are black or brown. Half of them. This has to be relevant to us. This has to be relevant to our congregation. This has to be relevant to the conference. I'm leading a task force that Keith Weaver and I are working at with a couple of others to say we have, got to, we have got to look again at how we are addressing the issues of inequality and social injustice and racial injustice that are part of our church, part of who we are, that are embedded in who we have been in this country since our founding, and since we came as Mennonites from Europe, those of us who came from Europe. And so I just want to say that I care deeply about this. Keith and I both know it's a risk. We both know that the church could divide over a conversation like this that has to be had, that is too important not to be had. I'll turn for a moment from parts of Ephesians 2 and 3, but let me begin with the message. There was a period in this country following slavery and the Emancipation Declaration, Proclamation, where it looked like during this period of Reconstruction, particularly in the South, Black folks and white folks would, would be on a more equal fit footing. Blacks in this country, black Americans, were beginning to take places of, in, in legislatures in their states. They were beginning to own land. There was greater integ- integration occurring. There was a chance for white and black to come together in a way we never had before, for social and spiritual allegiance between black and white in this country. But it, it was a moment that was missed, and it was missed by the church. And as we know later, that became a moment of what we call Jim Crow. We called it a separate but equal, separate but equal bathrooms, separate but equal facilities, separate but equal schools. But they were separate, but they were anything but equal. It was a key moment when the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 had the opportunity to become a living reality. And I'm going to read that passage in a moment. But it is also a moment now. God keeps giving every generation these moments. Every generation these moments when the walls we've created between groups of people that are artificial can come down. Paul says this, speaking of Christ. And he's speaking to a group of Gentiles who had been excluded, marginalized. In fact, marginalized by God in the Old Testament not just a socially constructed marginalization, but one that God put in place to bring about his own people and through them the Messiah. And yet repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, God reaches out to them. God reaches out to the Gentile. God reaches out to the alien. And in fact, God's people go into exile in part because they were not a witness to the rest of the world about who God was. Paul says this, For he himself, Christ, is our peace, not just our personal peace, because listen closely, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, has made them one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. This is a beautiful vision that Paul has as he's speaking to the Gentiles. That Christ had in himself this purpose to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Both Jew and Gentile needed to be reconciled to God, not just one of them. Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off, to you who were on the margins, And peace to those who were near, the Jew also. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The Apostle Paul, Jew of Jew, Pharisee of Pharisees, was given a vision by the Holy Spirit that in Christ, the walls and barriers that had been socially constructed, constructed between Jew and Gentile, artificial boundaries would be dismantled in Christ that Christ had come to tear down that wall between the two. And so where that wall exists today, it is our responsibility. It is part of our mission to tear that wall down. It is part of our our mission and calling as followers of Jesus to address those barriers and those walls. In fact, it was interesting to me for the first time this week, I saw Paul saying this, that the mystery of Christ, not just, that the mystery of Christ is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I always read that seeing that the mystery of Christ was our salvation, but our salvation is not just about us personally. It's about the salvation of the world. And so the mystery of Christ is that in him, the walls were torn down and we could become one in Christ. Amen. I mean, that is a incredible vision that across the, We know that when we get to eternity, when we get to glory, every tribe and every nation and every tongue is going to gather around the throne. The kingdom vision is that that begins today. The kingdom vision is that that begins now. That's the work of the Holy Spirit now to tear down those walls and to bring us together now. That's the mystery of Christ. That's the mystery of what God did through Christ. Last week... I had the privilege of interviewing several leaders within Lancaster Conference, with whom I'm working right now on this whole question of race and racism in our church. And one was uh, Hyacinth Stevens, who is the daughter of Michael Banks. Some of you have heard of Michael Banks, now now gone to be with the Lord, but longtime bishop, pastor in New York City. Hyacinth is um, quite articulate about these issues and concerns. I also interviewed Bishop Al Motley, who's been in the Lancaster Conference for 45 years. He's a bishop in Chester County. And it was very clear to me, and for the first time I saw this, and as a sociologist and as a pastor and a Christian, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's very clear in listening to Hyacinth and to Al that they read the Bible differently than we who are white. They read the Bible differently than we who have not faced 400 years in our history of oppression. We like to talk sometimes about our martyrdom in Europe, but that was relatively light for us compared to what has happened to them even up until the last several decades, and even today. Because they read the Bible from the outside, looking in at the center, looking in at the centers of power, looking in at the centers of status. They read the Bible as people who have been oppressed and have experienced injustice for hundreds of years. And when they read the scripture, they hear the scriptures. They hear God's appeal for justice. They hear God's appeal for reconciliation. They, understood what the old, they understand what the Old Testament prophets were calling for. When they saw a new kingdom where the lion laid down with the lamb, they understood Jesus' concern for the poor and the way he talks about that in, the, in Matthew 5 to 7. That any legitimate, any valid expression of who God is must include concern for the poor, the fatherless, the widow, the alien, the foreigner, and the marginalized. Must include that. I understood, and I've known this, that folks in the global south, Asia, Africa, and Latin America, read the Bible differently. I've known that. I've talked about that. I've preached about that. I've written about that. They read the Bible differently because, again, they live in a world that was more like when the scripture was written. Poverty, injustice, persecution, disease, low life, short life expectancies. I don't know. Do we let the bell go or can you hear me? You can hear me. Uh, This is Martin Luther's great hymn. So. This was the hymn that I was supposed to memorize for my first exam at Wheaton College and I didn't know I was supposed to memorize it. I missed that part and I failed my first exam as a college student. Our African-American brothers and sisters read the gospel in a way very similar to our brothers and sisters in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. They read the gospel with an understanding that that that, that the gospel is holistic. It's about deed and it's about word. It's about injustice and poverty, but it's also about the heart. It's also about the intimacy with Christ. The problem for many of us in the US is that we are quick to embrace our brothers and sisters in the global South. And I hear this from our African-American brothers and sisters, that we are quick as white Christians to embrace those in the global South. But much less to, to embrace our brothers and sisters who live in Harrisburg and Reading and Lancaster and Philadelphia, even those who are part of our church. I heard the story several times of African Americans who went to Mennonite World Conference in 2015, and white folks would come up to them and say, "Oh, what country are you from? What, are you, what country are you, you from?" And they would say Harrisburg and people would walk away from them immediately. That there was something that wasn't quite as exotic as if you come from somewhere else in the world. And that created pain, deep pain for them. Why are we so ready to embrace those in the global south but not our brothers and sisters of color right next to us? I think there are several reasons. One, we've always seen the the Global South or within the last hundred years in the missionary movement as being kind of an exotic place. The people that take the risks to move to Kenya we give higher regard to than those who move to Philadelphia or to Reading or to Harrisburg. Second, I think there's been some concern among white Christians that our African-American brothers and sisters politically lean more left than right and for good reason because in many ways the left has been more concerned about poverty and more concerned about injustice and more concerned about their needs or in fact they wouldn't lean that direction so for white Christians who lean right that's created a dilemma and third I think it's been tough for us to acknowledge our brothers and sisters who are of color because if we took seriously the theology and the understanding of scripture about justice we would be faced with our own complicity with our own engagement, our own involvement, our own failure to address issues of racism. And we would need to repent. It's easier to deny and to ignore that we're part of that at all. And I think we hear these questions about racism so personally and we immediately say it's not me. And I'm not saying it is about you, but we know that structured into our country's history 400 years ago was this dilemma because on the one hand, we said all people are created equal. On the other hand, we know that Thomas Jefferson had 150 slaves. And other founding fathers had slaves. And so the dilemma that they felt, and it's clear in reading what they've, what they've wrote at the time, they were feeling this dilemma. How can we own black slaves and say that all men are created equal? And the way that they got around that was to say that blacks are not totally human. Blacks are subhuman. Black, black folks are not fully human which allowed them then to say we don't need to treat them equally. Because when you dehumanize people, when you say people, or whoever it is, are not fully human, you can do whatever you want to them and sleep good at night. We can look at Germany, we can look at Rwanda, we can look at place after place after place. If you dehumanize people and say they are not fully God's children as they are, then you can treat them however you want because they're, they're like animals, not human beings. That is embedded in our history, and unfortunately, folks, it is embedded in the church from its very beginning in this country as well. And so it might not be that you and I personally run around and say racist things. We are part of a social institution, like every social institution in this country, in which this division is embedded within us. It's embedded in who we are, and it takes hold of us in ways that we have no idea. It's what Paul wanted to eradicate from the very beginning of the church's history. Paul wanted to make sure that as the church got off the ground in its very formation, the division between Jew and Gentile was eradicated. Because he knew if that division continued down the road, he would create a divided church. And he would say over and over again, Christ is not divided. Christ is not divided. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was one who was called out of the safe and secure Jewish center of power and status where he had been trained, where he had been positioned for leadership, and God called him to leave that and move to the margins in order to bring the good news of freedom to the Gentiles, that they were one in Christ with their Jewish brothers and sisters, that Jesus had raised them to an equal position with the Jews. And Paul says, the mystery of Christ, as I noted, is not salvation of my personal sins as much as it is that. But it's, in this passage, it is the mystery of Christ that brought Jew and Gentile together. That in God's kingdom, there are no folks on the margins. In God's kingdom, we are one in Christ Jesus. And if that's going to be the way it's going to be in glory, then our responsibility as brothers and sisters is to work at that now is to work at the kingdom realities now and not to just wait because how in the world do we expect to show up in the kingdom if we've not been living like the kingdom now we love to sing in christ there is no east and west in him no south or north but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide wide earth it's a wonderful song and yet in this country right now, this morning, 98% of our churches are predominantly one race or another. As a church, we have failed to completely understand that the mystery of Christ lies in the unity of groups that come together in Christ across artificial boundaries of skin color and country of origin. The other thing that impressed me, another thing that impressed me so much about Al Motley's conversation with me this week last week was that he so clearly articulated that racism is ultimately about spiritual warfare and I have never seen it that way I have never seen this as as a spiritual battle although I got to say I feel it this morning I've not seen that this is a part where the devil is deeply at work and I should have seen it but I haven't faced it I haven't faced it like Alice faced it I suspect if you and I had faced generations of beatings that we heard from our grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers and grandmothers of lynchings, of discrimination, of police brutality, of separation of husbands and wives, of public housing and ghettos when whites got the suburbs after World War II, of unjust incarceration at the hands of white judges, white prosecutors, white juries, who said to Anthony Ray Hinton, we know you didn't commit these homicides, but you're gonna pay for it because somebody has to, and you're black and we're white. This was 1986 in Montgomery, Alabama. And he was put on death row only to get out 20 years later. If you and I experienced this, it wouldn't take us long to figure out this was satanic. If this was our history, this wouldn't take us long to figure out that that the the enemy of our souls was was up to no good in coming against us and creating this oppression. But we who are white, have a long history of being able to look the other way because we could. We could. This is not our problem. We're not responsible for it. We didn't do it. Things are so much better than they were. A couple of weeks ago Attorney General William Barr said there's no systemic racism in this country. When I asked Hyacinth about that she said well of course not. Experience tells us something different. Those of us who are white do not have the experience of systemic racism We don't walk out our door and wonder most of the time whether we're gonna get shot if we do the wrong thing. So we're hardly the ones who should be the experts on racism unless we've listened closely to our brothers and sisters who are black and tell us their stories. Then maybe we can talk about it. William Barr has never experienced it in his position of status and and, and power. And because of this, he would have no clue what it looked like if he got it or he saw it. Fifteen years ago when I was writing my study of Mennonite Church USA I noted this and again this has been a long time concern for me but I learned a lot more in that period of time than I did. I'll just tell you a little story. I was interviewing black leaders, Mennonite leaders from Lancaster Conference in Philadelphia in 20, 2006 or 7, and I went down to interview them and um, I, took an, I, took an, I took a white videographer with me. And I had some questions for them about what they were experiencing in the church. And as I shared with them and was listening to them, they began talking about their experiences and how painful they were. Things like you white folks come down and we tell you our story, but nothing ever changes. There's a table where decisions are made in the church and we're never part of it. You love to talk about people of color in the church, but we never get to make any decisions with you and the videographer who was white jumped in and said we don't want to hear this we have other questions to ask you and I may have shared the story with you but I was so angry I jumped in and said this is exactly what we want to hear because again the problem is we white folks set the narrative we set the story when my kids show up in race and ethnicity my course for 20 years they don't know the stories of reconstruction they don't know the stories of Jim Crow they don't know the stories of civil rights They grew up in this country, but they are not learning those stories of oppression because the stories are written by white white folks. There's a whole narrative that we are missing. And then we say, we know everything there is to know about racism. For the most part, we don't have a clue. And the only way to have a clue is to listen. The only way to have a clue is to read. The only way to have a clue is to respond and say, I wanna hear your story. And so I said this in 2007, about Mennonite Church USA and we can say it about Lancaster Conference as a, as a white denomination historically with a growing number of racial ethnic members we still have not overcome the boundaries that separate white middle class members from our members of color those who are marginalized in both the church and society finding ways to eliminate these boundaries will require intentional efforts by, by those of us in the middle with power with affluence and status as Mennonites, we have become increasingly political, particularly in the last 30 years. And as that political engagement has occurred, it's clear that we have leaned more right than left. And at the same time, the data are clear from my study that over the last 30 years, we've become less concerned about racial justice than we were in the 1970s. As I noted so clearly in, that, in, in, in my book at the time, Road Signs for the Journey, politics I'm concerned more than theology is driving the way we see lots of things these days it becomes the major lens we hold up the scripture but then we we listen to what our politicians say on the right or the left as followers of Jesus the scripture must be our guide it must guide the way we think about political engagement It must guide the way if we vote how we vote I'm not sure how we will answer Jesus. I've long said that I think the first question he's going to ask us when we get to glory is, how did you do with my mission? And I'm not sure how we we'll answer if, the, if our response here on earth had nothing to do with how we cared for the poor, how we cared for those who are marginalized, how we cared for black and brown folks, how we cared for the immigrants, legal or illegal. As a white church right now in this moment, And Keith and I keep talking about this, this is a critical moment when so much is being changed and dismantled. We have a critical opportunity to move toward our black brothers and sisters and their congregations and to address these issues together. It was again clear to me that in listening to Hyacinth and and Bishop Al that their views of the gospel are so much different than those of us who are white. This is a critical moment for our church, and I can't help but believe that God isn't somehow dismantling the world around us because things are just not right in the kingdom. As I listened to my black friends who I interviewed, I was impressed with their vision of the kingdom, a vision that extends beyond the church, and no wonder because the church has in so many ways been a disappointment to them. In revealing the mystery of Christ and God's purpose through Christ, Paul says to make two groups, one, and to create in himself one humanity out of the two. The work of the kingdom today for all of us is the tearing down of walls that alienate, not building them up. And Paul says the very same thing. I'm aware that standing with the gospel of reconciliation that Paul preaches as risks for me, for the church, addressing racism could well divide the church. But if that division contributes to the dismantling that must occur if racism is to be overcome and that demonic spirit that created it and sustains it exercised from the church, I would rather stand before God at at the end of my time and be known by him as one who proclaimed the mystery of Christ than one who did not I would rather stand now then with my brothers and sisters of color whose gospel I find so much more consistent with that of Christ than I often do with the rest of the church at large In the end I hope that I and that all of us are among that church who is last who was last but has become first who has who in rejected the gaining of the world but did not lose their souls. The question for all of us in this kind of time is what do we do? And I think there are several things we can do. One is we can listen. One is we can listen to the stories. At leadership assembly uh, leadership Assembly at Lancaster Conference this year in two weeks is going to be held live. And there will be some stories related to race there. Hyacinth will speak. And you can zoom in on that or listen later on YouTube. And I'll give you information about that. I think we can just be quiet and not pretend that we know what racism is about because we haven't experienced it. We're not the experts on it. I think we can just be quiet. I think we can caution others whom we hear or hear on Facebook launching into these conversations about race to just pause for a moment and to listen to someone who's experienced it. I think we can attend Rosita's class. I'm so delighted that Rosita is leading a class on race and racism. And I hope she does another one if you haven't attended that you can join that or another one. I have a student whose sister is leading a book club on issues of race uh, and it's open to the public. I think there are ways we can create relationships as a congregation. Groffdale Mennonite Church has created a relationship with Al Motley's church um, and uh, participated in a march with them um, several weeks ago from Groffdale Mennonite um, supporting issues related to African-Americans justice and racism. I also think we can as we read the scripture begin to ask God's Spirit to lead us to those places and to help us understand the scripture from a different perspective than that of our privilege where we are so often. I think reading on the Sermon on the Mount from a different perspective than our own privilege would be a big way to go about that. And So I just leave you with these thoughts this morning. I know they were a little I felt more anxious, I think, probably about preaching this message than I have in a long time because I know what I'm launching into, or I don't know, but I've been working at it long enough to know that there is incredible um, hostility around this question and issue. But when I look at the scripture, I can't see any way other than to address it and to say that if we're going to be truly followers of Jesus, we have to look at these questions and address them as a church. Lord Jesus, we come to you, the one who, in the mystery of yourself, brought the two together. White and black, white and brown, brown and black, Jew and Gentile. That in, your, that in the cross, that in your body, the two became one. And we confess that we have failed to understand this. We have failed both to understand your mystery of Christ, yourself. We've also failed to understand what our black brothers and sisters have so often experienced. And so we just pray in this critical moment when there's so much division in this country that we would not be part of the division, we would be part of the unity. That there would be a witness and testimony that is in this congregation that's in Lancaster Conference and in each of us that says, Jesus, you came to tear down the walls of hostility. If there's ever a message that is needed, that the Christian message is that you came to tear down the walls of hostility, we just pray that that would go out from this place, from this congregation, from Lancaster Conference, from the church as a whole. That there would be a unity that only the blood of Christ can bring to us and to the world. And we thank you that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and confess and gather around the throne, every tribe, every nation, every kingdom, every tongue, and know that you are Christ, and you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This
1: is an old, old song. Um nothing like singing scripture.
4: me
6: I'm Susan Hostedler, and I'm the board chair and I just want to um, give you some information about the members meeting that is taking place this Wednesday uh, at 7 o'clock. So yesterday Scotty and Donway and Dan and Paul and I worked on a dry run to try to get through some of the technical glitches and everything so I ask whether you're going to join us via Zoom or in person that you yeah, bring a lot of grace and perhaps your sense of humor. <laughs> so. We got through most of it, but you know, you never know what might happen, but we're doing our best. Um, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what to expect, how things are gonna go, but an email will go out later today with all of this information also. If you do not receive an email by the end of the day, please let me know by email or text. Again, technology, we've had some glitches with emails, so I wanna make sure you get the information. So for if you will be meeting in person, We'll be meeting here at the church at 7 p.m. We're gonna be following the guidelines for reassembly, which will include masking and social distancing. All this is gonna be in the email with the link to what those full guidelines are. You'll see when you go into the sanctuary, every other row will be blocked off to just help us get some more space between each other. And so just spread out. um, Allow plenty of room between you and the others not in your family. And then when the meeting is over, We just encourage you to make your way to the parking lot to fellowship and reconnect with people. If you will be joining us via Zoom, the Zoom link will be on the email that goes out today. And Dan Klinger and and Donway Nadeekwe will be monitoring the Zoom participants. So they'll have their eyes on you the whole time. So during question and answer times, you will be prompted for your questions from home. Uh, This should work smoothly, but in case it doesn't, we have a couple of fallback plans. And that is, if you have a question, you can raise your hand and then Dan will call on you and you should be able to ask your question that it's heard. If that glitches, then you can type it in the chat or you can call Dan directly. But we wanna make sure if you have questions, they get to where they are and we can answer them. And during the voting time, you'll be prompted to go ahead and raise your hands and they'll be able to count you via Zoom. Again, all this information will be in the email that goes out. If you have any questions, you can let me know. And again, bring some grace and bring some sense of humor. Thanks. I completely forgot to prompt the ushers (laughs) that you could now be passing out the information packets. Sorry about that, Sadie. I said I would prompt her when I got up here. I forgot. So we have the information packets that they can pass out. These will also come uh, via email too. And then we'll have some packets here on Wednesday night when we meet. So if you want one, go ahead and raise your hand. These are not just if you're a member. Anybody can have these. It's got the budget in it. It's got the reports, the agenda, and things. Thanks.
3: know who I am my name is Leah and in January I left to go to Honduras I was working um, in Chimelacón Um, a lot of you are familiar with pastor Jose Fernandez and his wife Liddy's I as I was actually able to stay in their house um, which was a really big privilege um, for me as they are connected with the church Um, where they were in past years. Um, I was also working in their school. It's called White Dove Mennonite School. It's a bilingual school um, that also they include um, biblical aspects and concepts into their teaching. Um, So I was there teaching English. It was a lot different than I expected. I went and I was like, okay I'm going to be working with young kids and I'm going to have like an English class. But it ended up being a lot different than I was expecting. I ended up teaching language, spelling, math, science, reading, um, a whole bunch of different subjects in English. Um, So it was a lot different than I expected. But um, I learned and adapted quickly, (laughs) thankfully. um, And it was an amazing time. Um, I feel like there was a lot of changes this year, I think, for everyone. um, My plans changed a lot. And I wasn't expecting to be here until December. So my plans changed drastically. About two weeks ago, um, the immigration in Honduras said that anyone who's not a resident um, of Honduras needs to leave the country. So um, I spent about a week kind of frustrated with God, not really knowing what I'm gonna do, um, because I couldn't go to any country bordering Honduras because they're not allowing anyone in, they weren't allowing anyone in he wasn't a resident, so I the only choice I had really was to come back home, which I was happy about and also disappointed, happy because I wasn't able to be here for my brother's wedding and I was really missing my family, um, so I was happy to be, I am happy to be able to be with them and pass time with them and just, you know, just love my family. Um, but I was also really disappointed just because right now in Chimelacan in Honduras, they are ending their fourth quarter for their school, their school usually ends in November, but because of COVID, they're ending early, they're gonna end in October. But this last, this month, they're gonna do a quarter in a month um, is only English. So just as I leave, all their English classes are coming back together and they're doing more um, English classes in first to fifth grade. So I kind of felt like a little guilty, like I'm sorry, I'm leaving during this time, but you need me the most, Um, but I am so thankful to all of you for the opportunity you've given me as a church Um, I was able to raise my support before I left in three months and that was absolutely amazing I feel so blessed by you guys I also want to thank you all so much for responding to my newsletters that just made me feel so like loved and I don't know really supported during this time because it was a really hard seven months um, just with all the changes being in a new culture well it was kind of New, kind of, not new because I was in it last year, but Honduras in itself was a new culture, a new family, Um, even though I really did love getting to know the family, it was a huge blessing to get to know them in a a more, in a deeper way, more than just, oh, I know who you are, I know your family, I know what you do, but it was such a blessing to be part of a family and to actually live with them um, as a pastor's daughter. (laughs) Um, So that was a really great experience. And yeah, I just want to thank you guys. I felt so supported during my time away. It was amazing, um, just to hear from you, just to hear that you're praying for me. Because I felt like during the hardest times, I got most of the support, most of the messages, just saying, "Hey, we're praying for you. We know it's hard, but you can do it." And I was just like, "Oh, thank you so much, guys." Um, Looking forward, um, this I'm taking September basically to try to figure out what I'm going to do next. There's a lot of possibilities. I feel like I could go back to Honduras. Right now Honduras, their borders are open, so I could possibly go back, but there would be a lot of complications, a lot of changes, a lot of government um, processes, processes I would have to go through to get back. And I would only spend a month teaching there and then a month not teaching, because I would have October teaching, November not teaching, and then in December I would probably go back to Costa Rica. So that would be one option. Um, I'm also looking into other options. On Tuesday, um, VidaNet, which is based in Costa Rica, they're having a meeting, um, a little bit about me, (laughs) um, about what we're going to do with me. Um, I could possibly go back to Costa Rica for the rest of the year and get ready for my plans next year. Um, But I'm also talking to EMM on Thursday to see what their plans are for me and what they have. Um, It might be a little complicated because I'm working with EMM and I'm also working with VitaNet, which is in Costa Rica. So um, I'm just really hoping that we can all like work together and try to figure out what is the best plan for me. Um, and if none of those plans work, I will happily stay here for the rest of the year. Um, I don't really have a set plan in my mind. But just so you know, we are trying to work through things. And I will continue with my newsletters, just so you guys can kind of keep up with, ha- with, with what's happening in my life. Um, So yeah, that's the uncertain plan of everything. But I just wanna thank you guys so much again. I really do feel supported by by E-Town and this congregation and I feel so loved by you, so thank you.
7: Thank you so much, Leah, for sharing with us and giving us an update. I've seen a lot of growth in you the last couple years. I would like to now have a prayer for Leah. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. You're everything. You're our teacher, king, shepherd, gardener. You're our foundation, our cornerstone, our plumb line. You're creator of the whole universe. We bring Leah before you this morning. We thank you for her willingness to serve you and for her passion for those in need. There has been a lot of challenges in her life recently with Avita net director passing away, And Leah, having to end her term early, I'm sure she has a lot of questions. I would like to acknowledge Psalms 139, 5, and 17 over her for Leah. The Lord goes before Leah. The Lord follows Leah. The Lord places his hands of blessing on Leah. In verse 17, how precious are your thoughts about Leah. Lord, you have a special plan and purpose for Leah. We just pray that you would reveal that to her. You pray, we pray that she may experience your love in a deeper way, that you would give her a greater passion for those that are hurting. And we pray that this season in her life might not be a stumbling block, but a stepping stone into something greater for the future. We just thank you for what you are going to do in her life. Now I will have a closing prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the freedom to worship here this morning. Help us not to take that for granted. We are so blessed to be able to do that. And we just pray that today is a day we can get together and worship you and get rejuvenated for the coming week. That's what the Sabbath is for. And we pray we would all mirror you. There are so many people out there without hope during this season. And we pray that you would give us that extra vision to see those needs and to see those people that are hurting. And we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives this week. In your precious name, amen. Leo, uh, you're dismissed. Leo will be around here if you want to talk to her. And I'd encourage you to encourage someone else.